Welcome to the Not a Victim podcast. Not a Victim is a show about learning to live a life without excuses. Today's guest is Dennis Chamberlain. Here's the show. All right, man. So just tell me a little bit about your background and your upbringing and just everything that kind of led to uh, to where you were years ago. Yes, I was raised, uh, started off up in Minnesota and um, had four older brothers and had great parents. And um, when I was about the age 10, I had a brother that got really sick and we had to move down to Georgia and that's where that's where I'm at today. Was it like a hospital thing or like a healthcare thing? It was, yes. And um, I always looked up to my brothers a lot, me being the youngest. Um, and also, my father was a carpenter. And we, um, one of the ways that he helped raise us five boys was he would buy a house and remodel it and sell it. So we moved a lot. It seemed like every two or three years we would move and I was changing schools a lot. Right. Um, which I, I, it was hard to bond with any friends and stuff like that. So. Yeah. How old were you during that time? Like, it seemed like, uh, pretty much, uh, you know, like from like middle school or, uh, or elementary school, el- uh, elementary, middle and high school, probably mm-hmm. more in the high school. And that was after I was 10 years old down here in middle school and high school. Um, yeah, it was, it would seem to be more. Well, that's very difficult. It's probably especially uh, middle school and that kind of like those are such important years that that's got to be really uh, tricky. But um, okay, so you moved around a lot, and because of that, I need to get close to the mic. You moved around a lot, and because of that, just friends were kind of a hit or miss because you knew after a while you'd be on to another town and a new group of people, right? Right, and it didn't really connect with school that well. I just seemed to get by because of that also. I was always the new kid, um, which made it a little strange. Um, didn't wind up graduating. Um, just just was kind of done with school after the 11th grade and just uh, took my GED that summer and wouldn't, wouldn't recommend that to anybody, but uh, just had a, a car and a girlfriend and, you know, and a job, so... Where were you working then? I was working out. Uh, I was working in Arizona at the time, actually, when that took place. I'd, I'd spent just a couple of years out in Arizona, uh, my tenth and eleventh grade year of high school, and um, and then moved back to Georgia. But I was actually out there, right? And I was uh, just working as a stock boy, basically. Okay, stocking yeah. shelves. Stocking shelves, yeah. Um, but typically, I'd always been a carpenter's helper, helping my dad with all his projects. Uh, when basically we moved to Georgia, he was a builder in Minnesota, but when we moved to Georgia, he focused more on the remodeling. And I, was, I always helped him do all kinds of stuff, and I guess that's where I sort of learned my trade. So what about like on the personal side of your life, like whether stuff with your girlfriend or just like all of that side, what was, what was going on during that time between when you were you know, a teenager and, and when you, know, you were a business owner? Well, um, there was a time there um, from about 16 to 35 that I – well, I, let me just start with this. Um, I was about 15 or 16 riding down the road with my brother one day, and um, the glove compartment opened, and there was some marijuana in there. 
And I asked him what it was, and he told me. And uh, him and another brother of mine, my older brothers, they sat me down, and they said, uh, don't ever smoke cigarettes, smoke pot. <laughs> they also said, uh, don't ever do acid, eat mushrooms. <laughs> what? And it really sounded like good advice at the time mm. um, because everybody in my family had smoked cigarettes, and uh, except me, uh, and I've actually never smoked a cigarette in my life, but... After that conversation with my brother, I got turned on to marijuana, and I started smoking marijuana, and then um, I started playing music, and wasn't too long after that, I started drinking beer, you know. Um, my whole family, everybody partied. Uh, the parents drank in the evenings, and all my brothers were pretty big partiers. And uh, that's kind of how it started with me. Um, and by the time I was about 18 or 19, another brother of mine introduced me to cocaine. Mm. And after a terrible divorce, I kind of, all my buddies were doing cocaine and I kind of just slid into that mode. We, mm. we were all weekend partiers. We all functioned well during the week, but on the weekend we, we had a good time. And um, it was kind of a it went on like that for a long time, and it didn't seem. It seemed like I could stop or start any time I wanted to. Right. Um. So it went on for a while, and um, through that, I'm trying to raise a family. And um, so you had kids, or you had a wife, or yep, yep. My through my first marriage, I had a son, and um, and after that, after that was over, it only lasted about a year and a half. So at the age, my son was about a year and a half, two years old. We'd gotten a divorce. And um, about a year after that, I met my second wife, Terry. And she had a, a young son, about the same age as my young son. So it worked out pretty good. And about five or six years later, we wound up getting married. And um, it's been a solid relationship since then. That's um, a long time ago now. <laughs> long time ago. But what... Uh, you know, there was some, there, there's, I, I kept asking, I kept trying to figure out after the the weekend party and got a little carried away after about 10 years, to be honest with you, it was like, it became more of an addiction. And I, and I tried, I also was doing crystal meth mm. and, um, and it was nothing just to buy a large amount and sell it to my friends. And I had enough to do for free, mm. but after a while it became, um, it became a true addiction to where I would, I would have a little left and I'd be freaking out because I was, I knew I was going to run out. So the weekend partying turned into way more. Hmm. And here I am trying to raise two teenage boys that are going through middle school and high school. Right. You, and, it, and not to interrupt that, do you, you know, think like the pressure of the situation led to that or it was just habit by then? You know what I mean? As far as the drug use, was it like, I have two teenage sons, I've never had two teenage sons before. And I don't know what to do about that. Yeah. <laughs> or is it just so normal now that as it escalates, you don't see it escalate? It, yeah, I think it became just more of a lifestyle. Right. Because everybody we knew was doing it. Right. And nobody was hurting anybody. Yeah. But it did get out of hand, both, both me and my wife. Uh, I was bringing it into the household. And during that time, I'd always, I was a musician. I played in two two different bands and also was a full-time carpenter during the day. Hmm. So it's almost... To play in two bands at one time, you're at practice four nights a week. Right. Every night was a party. I mean, yeah. every night. 
And uh, then, of course, we played on the weekend. So, right. so my wife did a lot with, uh, you know, raising the boys the way she did, and uh, I'm thankful for that. Hmm. Um, something else happened when I was about 10 or 12 years old, and because after, uh, after I asked God for help, and I'll talk about that later, I, I asked him, why did I go through all that? Because I knew it was wrong. I knew it was sketchy. There was times I didn't know how I got home. Mm. Um, things got way out of hand. And um, there was something that happened to me that I basically just shut away in a closet, locked the box, and never told no nothing about it. And mm. I was actually spending time in the hospital one time for swollen glands. Something happened. I don't quite remember, but I know I had high fever and I had to spend about five or six days in the hospital. And uh, there was a male nurse that came in who bathed me and uh, he did not do the right thing. He spent way too much time on a certain area. And right. at the time, I wasn't of age yet and I had no idea what the heck was going on. It scared me, but I was silent. Um, this, this thing went on for seemed like 15 or 20 minutes, but I was basically fondled, molested, I guess you call it now. Right. Um, and I can see now where that wound Mm. in my soul to where the partying helped, helped put a bandaid on that. Even if Mm. it was just a, you know, a short, a short relief from it. I didn't, I didn't, I somehow was able to tuck it way away and I thought I wouldn't have to fool with it. But I found out after God's help, I asked God for some help, and I found out after that 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 was the reason mm. for the mess. Right. Mm. Um, was there ever a season, and it may relate to that, maybe not, was there ever a season of your life that, as far as your state of mind, that you felt you would never get out of? And I ask this question every time because uh, I went through that a season like that. Yes. But was there ever a season like that? Yes, there was. Um <clears throat> in 97, I lost my dad. We were tight. Mm. And in 98, I lost my mom. 1998, I lost my mom. Wow. And there was nobody else to turn to because if I had a problem, even though I was 30, 33, 34, right. I would always go to them with my big problem. Yeah. And they would always guide and direct me. So the year of 1999 mm. was the worst year of my life because I was trying to find God. And the harder I tried, the worse I failed. The addiction got ridiculous, and um, hmm. I figured there was uh, only two options for me at that time. I was either looking at jail hmm. or I was looking at death. Hmm. And I already decided I wasn't going to go to jail hmm. because I'd, I got a DUI one time, and I spent the night in jail. Right. And uh, I, I just decided I was never going to go back. I was really concerned about shaming my family because with drug abuse and alcoholism, there are so many other things that come into play that that uh, I was looking at stuff I shouldn't have been looking at. I was doing things I shouldn't have been doing. Right. Um, so I didn't think there was a way out. At the time, I didn't even know that there was places I could go. Right. And I was really too shameful to let everybody know that yeah. I don't have it all together. So that time in my life, I did not think that there was any, any direction to turn. And mm. I was, I was concerned. I was, the, the cops were getting close and I'd already had my pistol loaded. I was going to take care of things myself. So, mm. 
and just profoundly alone during that time, right? I mean, uh, yeah, I would hide. Every time I'd go on a binge, I would basically tell my wife I'm going to measure jobs, and I would go hide. Mm-hmm. I'd hide in hotels for two and three days at a time by myself, and uh, and afterwards just um, just so disgusted with myself. Mm-hmm. Tell me about the uh, turning point moment. What was the moment that you just decided we're not? I'm not continuing down this path, uh, you know. And there's there's something about that that changed in your mind where it's like reckless abandonment just like because it's something you can't see yet and you just know where i've been is not where i'm just not going where i've been because it's just not because i've been there before you know yeah it was about the age of 35 um my son one of my sons was accused of smoking marijuana at high school Hmm. and when he came home to tell me about it i couldn't even look him in the eye because i was so high myself and um, that was that year of 1999. And uh, I had an aunt that passed away up in Minnesota. And because I was trying to find God in 1999, um, I guess I thought I was going to go up there and make everything okay with for my cousins and really console the family. Right. Little did I, I, would, I was in the middle of a binge at the time, mm-hmm. and I actually boarded an airplane to fly up there. And I'd been up for two or three days, out of my mind. And some series of events happened on that airplane. What were those? I don't. I don't want to make you say something you don't want to say. But. No, it was. Um, the airplane never made it to Minnesota. There was a terrible storm, and the, the plane was going up and down, ten, twenty feet at a time. It seemed like. Hmm. Um, and there was two very well-dressed, I don't know how to say it other than foreign men, young men, who stunk to high heaven. And I, I, they were very well-dressed, and I believe they were, I believe they were demons, because there was a deciding point on my soul at that time. Right. And they wanted me to go with them. And when we had to... So you, they like physically asked you that? Like to come with them? Not physically. Right. But they sat, the the back of the airplane was empty and they were sitting right next to me. Right. And you just felt like the, this the It was just weird feeling. And yeah, I was, I was definitely high, but I can, there was this weird pull. Yeah. You know when something's real like that. There was something yeah. extremely strange about this whole uh, trip. And then we wound up getting, being deferred to land in Maryland, I believe, um, in Baltimore. And... Um, when I got off the plane, they followed me out of the airport, and I'd wound up renting a car and went and got a hotel and because um, nobody was flying out that night. The storms were so bad. But I had to literally – I don't even know if they followed me in the car, but it was weird. Mm-hmm. Um, so that night, I just wanted to get home, and I asked God just to help me get home. I did not make it to the funeral in Minnesota. I turned around and took a flight back home the next day. Uh, that was on a Sunday my wife and my kids went to school Monday morning. <clears throat> this was about February of 2000. And um, I I heard about Jesus, um, but I never really have talked to him. And after everybody was gone out of the house, I knelt down alongside my bed and I, and I, and I cut a deal with God. And you know, I, I said, you know, if, if you'll help me with this, um, 
you know, I'll, I'm going to ask Jesus into my heart, but I was scared too. Cause I thought I was going to lose all my friends and everything else. There was just like, you know, there was definitely a battle over my soul. So hmm. I knelt down and I said a simple prayer and I got back up, went in, the, went in, sat down, stayed home that day from work and just kind of regained and went, got back to a normal life. But over the next couple of weeks, uh, people, most of my wife saw a huge change in my kids too, just a huge change in me. And it, and then after a couple of weeks, I kind of noticed it. It's like the thing I couldn't live without each day was absolutely gone. Mm-hmm. Um, at that point, I believe I was delivered from alcohol, pornography, um, mm-hmm. terrible drug addiction right. to methamphetamine at that time, or crystal meth, whatever you call it. Yeah. Terrible. And um, all that just went straight out the window. Mm-hmm. And um, wow. I've not, not even been tempted with it, and it's uh, 16 years now. Wow. Um, what day-to-day things now do you do, as, whether mental, spiritual, or literal, what day-to-day things now do you do to stay healthy? You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. I'm glad you asked me that. Um, I just got really hungry for God. And I guess day-to-day, um, I'm in church every time the doors open. <laughs> I'm committed to a ministry. Right. And... Some people can or can't go to church. Me, I have to be there. Right. I think um, it's so arrogant in our uh, current culture that it's like cool to be cooler than churches or whatever. That uh, I always say church to me is not even really about what the person says. It's more like a pep rally. Like the whole world is coming a certain way. And these are some people that are going the same way you're going against all of that. Yeah. And in that way, it's, it's just an encouragement that yeah. I wouldn't miss. Yeah, uh, but that like is is not cool now, <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. Like like that is what we should go by. Yeah. Like there's nothing higher than being cool. <laughs> right. Um. Any anyway, anything else? Didn't mean to interrupt you. Anything else? Day to day that's different. Absolutely. Uh-huh. Um. Daily devotions. Um. I read two or three a day. Mm. Um. I can't tell you I pray for an hour and a half every morning when I wake up. I don't. I just keep God constantly on my mind. I'm always. I always catch the scripture of the day, and I always do a couple devotions. I also listen to Proverbs with my granddaughter. Uh, she's 14 now, and I've raised her since she was three. Hmm. We have listened to Proverbs every day on the way to school since she's been old enough to, since I've been actually taking her to school. It's been about four years now. We listen to Proverbs every day. If it's the 24th, hmm. we listen to the 24th proverb. Hmm. And we base our lives off of what, you know, you listen to it enough, it starts to, mm. it really gets into your soul and it really starts explaining and confirming things and showing things. And um, it, I, I have to uh, contribute everything to the word. Right. Um, what would you say, and I know this isn't your story, so I'm not going to, you know, uh, expect you to have the answer with that uh, would come with this. And this isn't going to make sense until I say <laughs> but. <laughs> What would you say to someone who had a conversion experience with God and all their addictions stayed, that they were new, but they still had to learn how to like walk out of this lifestyle? It wasn't this like cold turkey thing that God did in your life. And again, right. it was for you, and that obviously is its, its own miracle. Um, but what would you say to that person that it wasn't that way, that they now they are a totally different person inside, but everything on the outside looks the same? I would say 
that God loves you just the way you are. And I can't explain why it helped happen to me that way. And then I see other people who go to AA meetings and celebrate recovery and have more struggle with it than I did. And I would say to that person that God loves you just the way you are. Hmm. And that um, you don't clean a fish before you catch it. You know, just come to God and uh, he'll take care of everything. He, hmm. Now, he had to work out some other stuff with me. Just because the addictions went didn't mean that uh, I'm not a, a work in progress and he still works on me every day. I'd also like to tell you, if you fall a thousand times, get back up a thousand and one. Um, I just really want to encourage you for that because, and it's not easy, but it's so much better. Right. Yeah. And um, I've said this in the last show, but like people that are really struggling tend to think that winners and losers are two separate groups of people. And that whether it be money-wise or it be frame of mind, that you're a born winner or you're a born loser. And they would never say they believe that, but their actions show that's what they think. And I say that as someone who is coming out of that mentality, that like, oh, you <laughs> you read the Bible every day. You do devotions every day. Good for you. I'm nothing like that, you know, um, or whatever. And and this whole thing is proving that that is not the case, that you were a very different person. Oh, yes. But to someone like on the brink of starting something like that, on the brink of reading some little thing every day, or to someone who read it three days and their life didn't change, so they just stop. Like, what do you say to that person that is on that, could go either way, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, once again, I'll say, God loves you just the way you are. Mm. Um, I, I say that to, 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 uh, to build yourself up. Um, and uh, I would suggest just start off by talking to God. Mm. And... Um, you know, start somewhere. And if there's a particular verse of the Bible that you know, meditate on that verse. I mean, you don't have to know the whole Bible. Um, I would say talk to God, try to pull one verse and meditate on it. It'll make a tremendous difference in your life. It'll, it'll actually chase away a lot of those thoughts uh, or those attacks that are coming towards you. And it just, you know, it changes your mind frame right. and uh, how you think and how you, especially your attitude and how you react to people. It may not happen every overnight, but I promise you, if you stay with it, it's going to make a major change in your life um, and in your attitude. Right. The never-ending struggle that I deal with is is walking this line that people, uh, a lot of times people of grace, um, they sometimes lower the standard so that it includes me. And I know that's kind of, I know that's not the truth, and I know it's somewhat an insult to to me or whoever they're trying to include, whether it be, uh, you know, people that are homosexual or whatever. Just like, let's just lower the standard because we don't want, we just want to be sweet to people. We want to bring them in on this. And then obviously people on the other side are, you know, are way the opposite where you don't have that, you don't feel that, kindness at all it almost seems like their version of it doesn't have that the like romance of god and in that i say that as someone um just you know maybe yesterday or something was uh was really uh pouring my heart out to god uh, on this topic that like there are things that i'm areas that i'm falling 
And I know it is not God's design to just lower that standard for me. But at the same time, because the standard should stay where it is, because truth cannot change, otherwise it isn't true, and that we can't just condition it to what we want it to be. But on the other hand, there's like this perpetual forgiveness. And do you have any, you know, any thoughts on, on that? I believe once you've asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, and you've asked him into your heart, I believe um, I believe that covers it. The slight, I said, all the grace that you need will be there when you need it, um, no matter how deep you fall. Um, I think what you're talking about mostly is what other people think about you. Right. And um, religion will do that, even, you know, even some good Bible-based churches. Um, but I promise you, if you ask God to send you to a church— not the one that's around the corner of Mama's church, possibly, but to I believe he'll guide you and lead you to a good family that'll love on you and uh, won't judge you. Um, God loves you just the way you are. Right, um, and I, um, you know, a thought I had on this is that almost every th- problem that I, or like routine, like habit, sin, or old, like sin that I've made a friend of, most of it, if I was really honest, all goes back to just being really scared and and feeling really alone mm-hmm. in that that walking with God however messy your life is at the moment takes that element away a little bit at a time slowly over time yeah. and then all the things that you did or did not do um change because the loneliness that drove it goes away you know whether that be pornography or drinking or just whatever it is it's all driven by fear of of something Mm -hmm. and that I think that is a kind of innate to our nature that we are built for God to fill that. And without that, there's just nothing that does. Um, I would just want to, I don't even really have a question with that. Um, just want to share that as something that I am wrestling with right now. And, uh, a lot of times when I listen to people share on any level, it's always past tense with them, and um, and I don't want to judge them because that's just immature on my part. But but in present tense, this is something that I'm dealing with. That they're, in all honesty, I'm just really going through a season of loneliness. That I'm just in an area of life where no one around me is going through the same season with me, and uh, and there's just something just uh, profoundly hard about that. And not not to elevate it above what someone else is dealing with, but I believe almost every struggle is that, is some fear of loneliness. Absolutely. And that uh, a walk with God, um, like I said, however messy it is at first, takes that away or just changes that dynamic. And all this to say, Dennis, thank you for your time. Thank you for your story. Um, you know, if you know Dennis from the area, he's just this very <laughs> successful businessman. You would not know all this. Um, you would not know all this personal stuff. But that is my desire with this show is to get behind that curtain. And um, and I we talked about this before it started. But young people, especially, tend to think that successful people were just given money by their dad, or they were just uh, just born that way. And there's a lot of things propagating that mentality but that when you see the humanity of people that are somewhere you want to be money-wise or just in life, that as ignorant as it is for some rich person to judge the poor person, the reverse is also true. And 
again, not to talk down to you like I'm your parent or whatever, but this is what I'm dealing with right now, and this is why uh, I wanted to share on it. Thank you so much for your time, and uh, that's pretty much it for this week. We'll see you next Monday. (laughs) 